Hello and welcome to Mouthwash TBD Conferences podcast with me, Paul Armstrong, creator and curator of TBD Conference and founder of Emerging Technology Advisory Hereforth. Recorded live from Singapore, best-selling author of Hooked and now Indistractable, Nia Ayal and I spoke about a range of topics from focus to distraction, technology to psychology. Nia has been called the prophet of habit-forming technology by MIT, and you can see why. He's obsessed with information and attention. Find out more about Nia over at nearandfar.com. That's spelled N-I-R and far.com. Enjoy the show. Nirayal is a best-selling author who focuses on the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. Nir is constantly looking at how technology is shaping our behavior and creating new habits. His latest book, Indistractable, has received critical acclaim for its contents and has been featured everywhere from the Wall Street Journal to Harvard Business Review. Also uh, author of the acclaimed Hooked, How to Build uh, Habit-Forming Products, Nir wasn't always a writer, though. Previously an entrepreneur, Israeli-born Nir co-founded two startups, which are very successful and received venture funding. Um, fans of his work include James Clear, Mark Manson, uh, Ariana Huffington, Ryan Holiday, Eric Barker, just to name but a few. You can find out more about Nir and sign up for the amazing newsletter, which I highly recommend, nirandfar.com. That's N-I-R-A-N-D-F-A-R.com. N-I-R-A-N-D-F-A-R.com. Click through to his um, profile. It's all there as well. Nir, finally, welcome to the show. How are you doing? And thank you for uh, joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Thanks for uh, being uh, so charitable with your time. I know uh, you are working on several things at the moment. Um, I'm honored you made the time to talk to us. Um, how, what do you have planned for Thursday after this? Well, I'm going to sleep because <laughs> it is uh, 8.30 p.m. over here in uh, Singapore. I'm calling in from yep. Singapore. So, uh, yeah, after this, I'm going to head home and uh, probably snuggle with my wife and call it a night. Oh. Very nice. I was going to ask you: Are you are you a, um, an early bird, or do you just like work nine to five? You know, you talk to people about a lot about work. What's your work schedule like? Yeah, so I'm I'm a big fan of what's called time boxing, or what psychologists call making an implementation intention. So I have pretty much every minute of my day scheduled because I'm a firm believer in uh, the fact that you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty uh, uh, diligent about knowing where I want to be and what I want to do and when I want to do it. Um, so I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, for the most part, in bed by around 10.30. I, I'm not quite the, uh, the night owl. Brilliant. Okay, interesting. I want to talk about um, time boxing a little bit later. Um, but let's start with what was the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning? The first thing I thought of when I'm, oh, that I, I got a pretty good night's sleep. I've been experimenting with uh, uh, how to um, improve my sleep quality. And last night was particularly good. So when I woke up in the morning, I thought, oh, that's good. So, so my, my little experiment was successful. Ah, but not, not a full biohacker. You're just, you know, changing a few things up or are you going full hog and... Well, I, I, try, <laughs> I tried the easy stuff, you know, the blackout curtains and uh, the the noise reduction and, uh, you know, getting to bed on time and things like that. So I, I, I tried a lot, all kinds of, of, of things. You know, the, what I found was that there's a lot of, of hocus pocus that provides very marginal benefit. Um, you know, like the, the blue light blockers and the nootropics and it's, and people ask about that stuff and get all wound up about it. It's almost a religion. And what I found is that the, 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 the 
best stuff is the stuff that people don't really want to do, like go to bed early. <laughs> you know, like you have one of my mantras, and I talk about this in the book that helped me overcome insomnia. I used to have pretty bad insomnia. Um, and one, one of my, you know, when I dug into the research, I, I, I'm very research backed, right? I don't, I don't like listening to people unless they can show me a peer reviewed study. Um, and so when I looked into uh, the study of insomnia, one of the things I learned uh, was that the number one cause of insomnia is rumination about insomnia. That is the number one cause of insomnia, worrying about the fact, you know, you, you probably everybody's experienced this, right? You're lying in bed and you're worried that, oh my gosh, if I don't get to sleep on time, it's going to ruin my day tomorrow. Why can't I get to sleep in, uh, on time? And then I'm, I'm going to be off track and uh, it's going to be terrible. And, and that's actually what is the number one cause of insomnia. It's not that your you know, brain is broken somehow. It's that we have these ruminative, uh, ruminating intrusive thoughts. And um, this the, the part of this is in my book as well, so I'm I'm, I'm uh, giving you kind of a sneak peek into Indistractable because the 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 problem that a lot of people have with time boxing, which we talked about earlier, with planning out what you're going to do is well, what if my body doesn't cooperate, right? I said I was going to be in bed, and now I can't fall asleep. What am I going to do? So I'm now I'm going to have to change my schedule for tomorrow, and uh, and, and you know everything. My my plans are now. Uh, uh, all have to be tossed out the window. No, they don't. And and so the solution to this is to repeat a mantra. And the mantra that, that I repeated, uh, and I think it's a very powerful one, is the body gets what the body needs when you let it. The body gets what the body needs when you when you let it. And so what I found was, is that if you let the body just get the sleep it needs uh, and stop you know, and stop worrying so much by repeating this mantra. The body gets what the body needs. The body gets what the body needs. Very quickly, I found I could relax. I stopped ruminating on how I'm not getting sleep and reinforced this, this truth that the body does get what the body needs. And what do I mean by that, by the way? What I found was if I had one night of bad sleep, well, the next night would not be so bad that the body would make up for it. And even when I thought I had a bad night's sleep, I, I wear some sleep trackers, uh, like the Aura Ring is, is a product I've worn for quite a while. And it actually would show me that if one night I got poor sleep, the next night I would actually get mostly deep sleep. And so the body kind of regulates, it, regulates itself as long as you give it the opportunity to do so. So long story short, what I found was by, by you know, not worrying about the small stuff, right, the tiny tweaks, but actually just worrying about the big stuff, which is get to bed on time, right, have a bedtime scheduled that's the best thing you can do for your sleep is give yourself that window of time to actually get to bed. And then if you find that you're having trouble uh, uh, falling back asleep, use a mantra like the body gets what the body needs. And that breaks that rumination cycle that tends to keep us up through the anxiety that it generates. I like that. I think we are uh, almost predispositioned to sort of like look for the shortcut on things and sort of hack things. And I know you mentioned hacking in the book and that sort of stuff, but I, I think that really is an important point. Actually, it's like don't forget the big things before you start hacking stuff. Absolutely. Right. Right. Um, it's been a really interesting time for people working in new ways. Um, I'm going to talk a bit about you and sort of big stuff, and then I'll go into the book. Um, so lots of new ways. How? Uh, how have these things sort of changed your thinking? Has it at all? Has it advanced it during the pandemic? Uh, which, oh, sorry, which thing specifically? Uh, people working in new ways and sort of the pandemic, mm. basically. How has that sort mm. of affected your thinking at all? You know, but the book came out oh, before the pandemic, so um, it did. And I, I remember I, I constantly tell my wife, "Thank goodness that I published this book before the pandemic, so that." I have these techniques in my toolkit because I don't know how I would have gotten through this terrible time without these techniques. I mean, the world is suddenly 
even more distracting than it was before, right? As if it wasn't distracting enough. Of course, now mm. the pandemic has made it even more distracting. Why is it more distracting? You know, one of the most interesting pieces of research I came across was the, the, stu the study that found that the reason we check our phones uh, only 10% of the time, they did these time studies with folks and they figured out why they checked their phones before, you know, uh, you know what, what prompted them, what were the triggers in their day. And it turns out most people think that they get distracted by their phones because of a ping or ding or ring, right? It's some kind of what we call an external trigger. So something on your device, something in your outside environment that gets your attention, and that's the source of distraction. But it turns out that this study found that that's only 10% of the time that we check our phones, 10% is because of an external trigger. So what's the other 90%? The other 90% of the time we check our phone is not because of an external trigger, but in fact, what this study found was 90% of the time we check our phone is because of what we call an internal trigger. What is an internal trigger? An internal trigger is an uncomfortable emotional state that we seek to escape from. Boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, stress, anxiety. That is 90% of the time that we get distracted. That is why. So this is a really important revelation, specifically to your question, Paul, around you know what, how does this whole pandemic change things in our relationship to distraction? Well, now all of a sudden, we've ratcheted up the internal triggers in our life, right? We have more anxiety, more stress, more uncertainty, certainly, uh, much more of these uncomfortable internal uh, internal triggers. And what are we doing to escape that discomfort? Well, if you're resorting to distraction, it's check the news incessantly. It's pour a drink to take your mind off of what's happening. It's uh, you know watch too much TV, it's work too much. It could be a bunch of different things that we do to take our minds off of this, this discomfort. Because of course, the real answer and, and, and what kind of changed my life in writing this book was realizing that distraction is not about what's happening outside of us. It's of course, the icky sticky truth is it's about what's happening inside of us. And if we don't learn how to master these uncomfortable internal triggers, these, these emotional states, if we don't learn to master them, then of course they become our masters. When I saw the title, uh, Indistractable, I knew I wanted you to speak at TBD Militia. The theme was uh, totally bang on for what I wanted to talk about, and that's the thing, focus, resilience, commitment. You focus a lot in the book on keeping promises to yourself and others throughout mm -hmm. the book. Why are we so bad at doing that? Yeah, so I, I really think this is the skill of the century that uh, we know, I mean, to your point, don't we all know what we want to do? We all know that, uh, you know, to get in shape, we have to eat right and exercise. We know that. We all know that if we want to be better at our jobs, uh, we have to do the work, especially the hard stuff that other people don't want to do. Uh, to have good relationships with people, we have to invest the time and be fully present. We know this stuff. And if mm. you don't know it, Google it. Right. We all can, can, can have access to how to do this stuff. It's not that we don't know what to do. It's that we don't know how to stop getting in our own way. We don't know how to stop getting distracted. And so that's really the focus of, of Indistractable and why I think that this is the skill of the century, uh, because this ability to control your attention is truly how we choose our life. And, and the reason we keep getting distracted is because, uh, you know, we have some some um, traits uh, inborn within us that uh, lead us towards distraction. Uh, principle among them is that we cannot stand uncomfortable sensations like boredom, for instance. Mm. There's, a, there's a wonderful study done by Tim Wilson at Harvard where he a, a, a band on their arm and he said, look, I need you to sit in this room and uh, I'll come back and get you. And just so you know that this strap on your arm 
will deliver a painful electrical shock if you press this button. Okay, he didn't tell them to press the button, to not press the button, he didn't say anything. He just say, I want you to know, press the button, you're gonna get a painful electrical shock. All you have to do is sit here. Two thirds of men and one third of women chose to shock themselves in, just to escape the pain of having to sit silently in a room with their thoughts. And of course, this is the root of all distraction. It's our inability to deal with discomfort. And whether that discomfort is anxiety, boredom, fatigue, loneliness, this is the root of distraction. It's not what's happening outside of us. It's what's going on inside of us. But of course, we love to blame all the stuff outside of us. It's Facebook. It's Twitter. It's the news. It's this. It's that. No, <laughs> it's not. It's our inability to deal with discomfort. That's really uh, the, the, the primary problem. The good news is that we can learn these new habits, that we can change our behaviors by learning these very simple techniques around how to become indistractable, that there's not that our brains are broken. It's not that technology is addicting us. That's all silly. It's simply that we need to learn these tactics to become indistractable. Anyone can learn them. Mm. Good. I'm glad about that. All right. Excellent. Glad we got there. Um, let's talk about work. Scheduling's um, a big message throughout the book. Um, I really like the line, the positive results of the time we spend doing something is a hope, not certainty. Why are we such bad schedulers? Well, I think the, the reason most of us are bad schedulers is that we don't do it. We use this stupid technique called the to-do list to run our lives, and it's been shown to be one of the worst things you can do for your personal productivity, that uh, running your day on a to-do list is, uh, is, is horrible. Uh, and, and it's not that I'm against uh, putting things down on paper and getting them out of your brain or putting them in an app. That's fine. What I'm against and what has been shown to be a, a, a quite a, a, a terrible technique is this, is this idea of running your day on a to-do list. So if you wake up in the morning and you look at your to-do list before you look at your schedule, you've already made a huge mistake, uh, principally because you're, you know, I've never met anyone who keeps a to-do list and finishes everything on their to-do list every day. I've never met mm -hmm. such a person. And so what happens is when you don't finish everything on your to-do list, and the reason we don't, of course, is because there's no constraint right? There's, you can put limitless things on your to-do list. Do just more and more and more and more. And so what happens is you get to the end of your day and all you want to do is relax. All you want to do is just, you know, be with your family or watch a Netflix show or whatever. And you look at your, but you're constantly thinking about that to-do list. So even when you schedule leisure time, you can't even enjoy it because you're thinking about all the things still left undone. And when you do look at that to-do list and you know, you're not going to have time to finish everything on it. We never do you're reinforcing your self-image as someone who doesn't do what they say they're going to do. You're reinforcing your self-image of someone who doesn't live with personal integrity. Loser. And so that reinforcement, <laughs> day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, then you start hearing people say things like, oh, I'm just not very good with time management. I'm not very good at uh, personal productivity. I'm so easily distracted. They start convincing themselves that they are somehow broken when really it's this silly uh, to-do list technique that's broken. So the much better mm. technique is to use, you know, what we talked about earlier, time boxing, which is when we sit down and we ask ourselves, how can I turn my values into time, right? How mm. can I make sure that the person I, that I live my life in a way that, 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 um, I spend my time, uh, in a way that is consistent with my values. And so by doing that, that's how we, that's the only way actually that we can know the difference between traction and distraction is by planning ahead for it, is deciding in advance. You know, you can't call something a distraction 
unless you know what it distracted you from. So if you don't plan your day, everything's a distraction. Of course, Twitter's going to get you. Of course, Clubhouse and Facebook and Instagram and the news and all this you know stuff that's vying for your attention. Of course, they're going to get you. Because what else did you plan to do with your time? So if yeah. you don't plan your day, somebody will plan it for you. Um, you touched on something there that I want to touch on um, later, but let's let's flip it up. Um, something that really stayed with me when I read the book was the phrase, does your calendar reflect your values? Mm-hmm. Um, and you say that people, if they want to be happy, uh, need to live their values, but don't leave enough time for values in the book. But don't leave enough time, you know. Um, can you explain what you meant by that, why it's so important, and also probably how as well? Yeah. So, you know, we, we, many of us, we have these aspirations and visions around all the things we want to do with our life. Uh, and, and we, we store them in our, you know, on our uh, vision boards and our long-term plans, but unless we actually make time for them in our day, we don't do these things. And so what we have to do is to, uh, turn our values into time. Uh, and, and the way we do that is by first understanding what are values, right? Let's define the term. It's very important we define our terminology. Values are defined as attributes of the person you want to become. Values are defined as attributes of the person you want to become. So what you have to do is to sit down and ask yourself, how would the person I want to become spend their time, right? Not, not in five years, but tomorrow, just tomorrow. Let's start with one day. And what I want you to do is to look at these three life domains. Number one, starting with you. You are in the center of these three life domains. So you have to ask yourself, how would the person I want to become spend their time taking care of themselves? Now, I'm not going to tell you what to do with your time. Nobody should tell you what to do with your time. Anything you want to do with your time is, by definition, traction. If you have time in your day plan for it, it's traction. Anything else is distraction. So if you want time in your day for video games, Great. Social media. Wonderful. Put it in your calendar, along with all your other things that you want to do to take care of yourself. Reading, meditating, prayer, uh, exercise, a bedtime. Put it in your calendar. Okay. If you don't, don't be surprised if you don't do it. Right. If you don't take that very basic step, this is this is 101 type stuff. Right. We can all do this and we have no right to complain that we got distracted unless we know what we got distracted from. So that's step number one. You. The second step is your relationships domain. You know, we are suffering in the Western world from a loneliness epidemic, a loneliness Mm -hmm. epidemic. And psychologists tell us that loneliness is as detrimental to our health as smoking and obesity. Part of the reason we are suffering through this loneliness epidemic is that the amount of scheduled time to interact with our friends has declined precipitously over the past 50 years. And this is not something that Facebook and Twitter did. This has been a long time coming. You can read about it in the 1990s. Robert Putnam wrote about this in his book, Bowling Alone, where he, he, he saw this trend of as, as the Western world became more secular, there wasn't the church group. There wasn't the bowling league. There wasn't the Kiwanis Club. People don't have these things on their schedule. And so you know, we, we, we just don't have that time to invest in our most important relationships. The good news is we can schedule time for those things. We can schedule time for our most important relationships. Uh, that's what we have to do in our relationship domain. Then mm-hmm. finally, the work domain. And this is where people start, but it's actually where we need to end. So there are two types of work. We have what we call reactive work and reflective work. Most people want to be told what to do all day. Why? Because thinking for most people is hard work. We want to be told because of our emails, because of our to-do list, because of our uh, Slack notifications, because of all these things. These the, the, we're, We want to be told how to react to things. 
But of mm. course, what that ends up happening, what, what this leads to is us being real busy and running real fast in the wrong direction. So if mm. we don't make time in our day for reflective work, time to think, we can't make sure that we do the right type of work that moves our life and our career forward. So that's the criteria with which we use to make our calendar. I really loved um, talking about that. I really love the quote, uh, and I'm probably going to butcher it. Um, the people, well, oh, the people we love, um, should not be content getting whatever time is left over. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So yeah. uh, th this comes from an, a concept that uh, my wife and I learned in, in university. We were both we met actually in a class uh, in undergraduate in our undergrad days, and it was an econ class, and we learned about this concept of the residual beneficiary or the residual benefactor, sorry, the residual benefactor. The residual benefactor is the chump that gets whatever's left over when a company is liquidated. So when a company goes out of business, the, uh, the debt holders get their money first, then the equity holders, and then last is whoever is left over, right? That whatever uh, you know, little scraps are left over, that's left over for the residual beneficiary. Uh, and so my wife, a few years ago, she said, you know, Nir, you have turned me into the residual benefactor, that I get whatever scraps of time are left over after all your other priorities. And she was absolutely right. She got me. And so what we change in our life, and this really did save our marriage, we've been married for almost 20 years now, is that now we make that time in our day, that we invest in our relationship, and it's made a world of difference. Um, I did enjoy that story about you uh, also trying to give up your phones and that sort of stuff. It was, it's very interesting in the book as well. Um, you talk about syncing with stakeholders in the book, a whole chapter, actually. Um, it focuses all around trust, something that seems to have been somewhat diminished or maybe just the issue has been highlighted by the pandemic. Um, it's telling, I think, that the future of work isn't the utopia it could be quite at the moment. Surveillance tech sales are up triple digits. People are frazzled. Mental health's a mess and that sort of stuff. Trust is the common thread here throughout all of these issues. How do bosses begin to trust their employees more? Is it a dialogue? Is it action-based? How, how can we help it, all of those parties be better? So a key component of trust is transparency. And I think this is such a con when I when I tell folks this technique, it's one of those oh my god why haven't we been doing this? So this technique is called schedule syncing. Part of the um, the the virtue of making a time box calendar is that now you have a physical artifact. You can actually show someone how you spend your time. And time boxing is not new. That's been around for a very long time. It's a very well studied technique. Uh, what is new and what I offer to the discussion is this practice of schedule syncing. So. The idea of schedule syncing is that it gives you an alternative to perhaps one of the worst pieces of personal productivity advice, which is learn how to say, you know what I'm going to say, no, right? How many times have we heard that? If you want to be more productive, you need to learn how to say no. What kind of stupid advice is that? Only a professor who's never had a real job can give someone that kind of advice. You're going to look at your boss, the person who pays your checks every month and you're going to tell them no, that's ridiculous. You're going to get fired. You can't do that. What you have to do instead is to show your boss your schedule and say, hey, boss, let's sit down. It takes 15 minutes a week. We're going to sit down on Monday morning. I'm going to show you what I plan to do this week. Okay, here's my schedule. Here's my calendar. I'm going to spend, you know, one hour on this task. Then I have this meeting to attend. Then I'm going to spend two hours on email, et cetera. You're going to show them your time box calendar for the week ahead. Then you're going to show them 
uh, you're going to say, look, boss, here's this other piece of paper. Okay, you see this list of other things here that I have listed on this paper? These are things that I couldn't figure out where to put in my schedule. Can you help me prioritize? That is your boss's most important job is to prioritize. You do the work. Their job is to prioritize. And what you're asking them to do is to look at your schedule and you're giving them the transparency to tell you, you know what? That meeting, you really don't need to be there, but that other task that's off your schedule, can you put work on that instead? That's much more important. So the, the best thing you can do to build trust is to give transparency. Let me tell you, if you're a manager, you have no clue how people are spending their time. And bosses are constantly thinking that their employees are wasting time because they have zero transparency. Meanwhile, employees are running around like crazy thinking, why doesn't my boss know how much I'm working on? Like, why doesn't he understand or she understand how much time things take? Well, of course, these people, you know, these two parties don't understand each other because there's no transparency. But by making a time box calendar and sitting down once a week, 15 minutes a week, that problem is solved. You talk in the book as well, um, as well as transparency about um, being clear and uh, managing up and that sort of stuff. Um, is is the issue that people aren't communicating with their bosses or do they have unreasonable expectations? And what advice would you have for a younger person who's trying to manage up maybe with a boss that isn't listening or is unaware or, you know, now is remote and that sort of stuff, whereas they used to have a physical relationship, to use the bad term probably, um, what would what would your advice be for those people? Yeah, so I think you know the, part of it is uh, this schedule syncing process is is a wonderful way to sh to to increase transparency, right? The simple practice of of sharing this time box calendar is an easy first step we can all take. There are many many other techniques that we can use personally to become indistractable. Uh, you know, they're, they're, that's the first half of of the book is things that you yourself can do. Can do. So if you're a manager, you know, leading by example is probably the best thing you can do is to show people what it means to be indistractable by. Being being indistractable yourself. Same thing, by the way, if you're a parent, right? How many I hear from parents every day about how their kids are addicted to their phones, how they won't stop playing video games. And meanwhile, as the parent is telling me this, they're on their phone checking email or you know Facebook or something. So we have mm -hmm. to set that example. And if you're in a, a, a junior position, um, there's some very practical things you can do. So for example, you know, I give you specific tools for how to hack back all the distractions in your day. Uh, but I would say big picture, you don't have to make the case yourself, okay? I spent five years researching uh, this problem. Uh, give them the book, okay? It's, it's 15 bucks. <laughs> it's very cheap investment. Get, see if your boss might be willing to read this book. Let me do the arguing. And I'm not saying this because I earn, you know, two bucks per book. That's clearly not my motive. My motive is that, look, if you tell your boss that they need to do this, that you want to do things differently, that's going to be a hard sell. Let me and the research do that job for you. It'll make your life much, much easier. Yeah, I, I agree. I was going to say that in the outro as well. I think actually people should buy two copies of the book, one for them and one for their manager. And um, it's got such practical advice in it. You give away worksheets and that sort of stuff. I, I really do think that it's one of the best books I have read. Just Thank from you. a practical perspective of like actually doing that, if that makes sense. Apparently, oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah. That means a lot to me. No, uh, let's talk about a demon before we go on to sort of like technology in general. Um, you mentioned using email like a sauna. Can you explain that? Uh, actually, that's a group chat. 
so group chat, chat like, sorry, yeah. like Slack. So, uh, you know, many people have their group chat, their Slack app open all day long, and that's a big mistake. So Jason Freed says that we need to treat uh, group chat like a sauna, meaning you get in and you get out, right? A hot tub, you don't stay in a hot tub all day long. You're going to get pruny and gross. Uh, mm -hmm. So a hot tub, you, you go in, uh, you enjoy yourself, and then you leave. Uh, so that's a very important part about using Slack or any other group messaging service is to have time in your day when you're going to be in group chat, but wait, but don't leave it open all day long. It's a massive distraction. It's going to, it's going to absolutely degrade your work performance in other areas of your life. Mm. Um, I think I'm pretty lucky that I like what I do and I do some of my best work after work hours. Um, but I know not everyone's the same. Um, I was really shocked to see the stat in the book that 83% of people check email after work. I knew it would be double digits, but I did not think it would be that high. Um, do you have any tips to, uh, help people stop that? whether it's them or their bosses. <laughs> Yeah. So part of it is, of course, what you can do yourself. So I give you all kinds of techniques to help you hack back email distraction. Email, you know, in the surveys that I did, the number one most distracting technology that people mentioned was, in fact, email. Number two was Slack or some other group messaging service. And what was interesting is that for number two, for, for Slack specifically, was mentioned quite a bit as, as a very distracting technology, or somebody would say, you know, di a different group chat app. Um, I actually wanted to visit Slack. Right, because I, I couldn't visit the company that makes email, but I could absolutely visit the company that makes Slack. So I actually went to Slack headquarters, and I expected, you know, if this technology was the second most distracting technology on this survey that I did, I expected Slack to be full of very distracted people. Right, nobody uses Slack more than Slack, but that's not at all what I found. That in fact, at Slack, they don't suffer from this problem of distraction, and they don't suffer from this problem because of three reasons. Number one they give people psychological safety. So psychological safety is the ability to talk about a problem without fear of retribution. So the real problem of distraction at work is that people can't talk about the problem of distraction at work. If you can't raise your hand and say, hey, look, boss, you know, I'm really having trouble focusing on my work because I'm constantly pinged and dinged. I'm constantly interrupted. I need some time to work without distraction. If you can't say that to your boss, it's not the technology that's the problem. It's the company culture that's the problem. But culture can change. So number one, you have to give employees psychological safety. Number two, you need a place to talk about these problems. You need a forum to discuss these concerns. And number three is that, as we talked about earlier, management needs to set the example of what it means to be indistractable. So if you go to Slack company headquarters, you will see in the canteen, right, where everybody gets together for lunch every single day, in bright pink lit letters, there's a motto written on the wall. You can't miss it. It says, work hard and go home. Work hard and go home. And everybody at the company from Stuart Butterfield on down, everyone knows that that is part of the company culture. That is part of the company ethos because they know to get people's best work output, they need time to disconnect. And so this just proves the point that distraction is a symptom of cultural dysfunction. Distraction is a symptom of cultural dysfunction. There's a lot that we can do as individuals, but when it comes to the enterprise, uh, it really is a culture issue. And so it has to be something that needs to be addressed both on the individual as well as the company-wide level. But the, the good news is there, there are ways to reform this culture. I, I talked about a company who had a big turnaround, the Boston Consulting Group. They used to have very high employee churn. And one of the reasons was because employees kept 
uh, saying how they never had any downtime. They never had any time to be with their family or go to the gym or do anything but work. And they actually managed to reform the company culture and give people what they call PTO, predictable time off, so that they could yeah. work without distraction. It's really interesting, I think, when, when people think of um, time off. It, it, it's, it's, I don't know if it is changing 100%, but it's gone from something, and it varies wildly, doesn't it, with ge geography. But in the UK, we're very protective of our um, holidays, and we will plan them, and that sort of stuff. America, completely opposite. They don't really take holidays, and that sort of stuff. <laughs> they have, we have different numbers that we get, you know, as, as part of packages. But increasingly, I'm starting to see this PTO sort of stuff, where you look at it, and you kind of go, oh, I can have any day off. But you're still not seeing it in America, um, people taking massive chunks of time off and that sort of thing. It, yeah. That's a corporate, that's a generational thing that I think will siphon through. But how do, how do companies apply that if it's not really in the sort of, you know, psychology of that company or country to do that? Yeah, so I, I, I want to be very clear. I'm not for working more or working less. I don't think, I don't believe in the kind of the French doctrine of, oh, you're, it's illegal to work more than 35 hours a week. I think that's a mistake. If I think maybe this is the American in me, I think you should have the freedom to work as much as you want to work. And I think, you know, we need to be very clear as, as, as employees uh, about knowing what kind of job we're going to take. So if you're going to work at a startup, I'm sorry, you're not going to work 35 hours a week. You know, who, who thinks that that's a realistic expectation? If you're going to work at a startup, you're going to be working a lot of hours. If you want to be an investment banker, you're going to have to work a lot of hours. That's not where we find the problem. Because, you know, if you're going to work at Goldman Sachs, like, you know, read, read the news, right? Bankers work a lot of hours. You know that. What I have a problem with is the bait and switch. Mm -hmm. is the kind of company that tells you, oh, we're, we're a nine-to-five organization. We respect work-life balance. Oh, yes, we're, yeah, yeah, everybody has time off, absolutely. And then you get there and you realize, wait a minute, real work isn't done at work. Real work is time for gossip and meetings and emails. Real work gets done after work. That's a bait and switch, and that's not fair. So as long as expectations are set for what you know, people know when they take the job, how many hours they're going to work, I don't have any problem with that. But when there's that, that change of, oh, my gosh, this isn't ex at all what I expected, that's where you get employees who are dissatisfied, who get burned out, and who ultimately churn out. So it's, it's really about setting those expectations. Yeah, no, definitely. I think when people are applying for jobs as well, having a mandatory, I need to put their salary on here and the packages, all of that, that whole industry is just completely broken because of what we talked about earlier, lack of transparency. And mm. it's like everyone seems to be wasting time, but then trying to be more efficient with tools and that sort of thing. And no one's having a really honest conversation up front. It's kind of kind of interesting. Right. Um, yeah. Let's switch to devices, because uh, you talk about those in the book a lot. Um, I thought of the term Crackberry when I read the background <laughs> in the book. Um, which just shows how old I am. Um, the devices uh, we're using every day are dev designed to be addictive, but you don't necessarily see them as the enemy, which is I found quite refreshing. You know, a lot of books you read them like throw your phone away, you know that. Um, yeah. Instead, you recommend uh, changing your phone's home screen. Can you explain why that's sort of so important? Well, I, I think for, firstly, uh, we need to get away from this term addictive and addiction because it's a very disempowering term that, uh, you know, that an addiction is a disease, right? It's a pathology and it's a horrible disease. And somehow uh, in society today, we think it's uh, something that we can label everything that we like a lot. And it, it's not only, I think, is it, is it hurtful to people who actually suffer from this, this terrible pathology of addiction, but also it's very disempowering that the, the, you know, this is, this is very important in terms of a mindset perspective. We need to stop thinking that we're getting addicted because here's what happens when you think you're getting addicted, 
it's exactly what the tech companies want, right? They want you to think that you can't stop. They want you to believe that there's a pusher, there's a dealer, there's somebody hacking your brain. It is complete, utter, unscientific garbage. That in fact, it's not an addiction for the vast majority of people. Now, some people are really addicted, right? Some people really are, just like with alcohol, right? Some people, single digit percentages, are alcoholics. That is a pathology. But is everybody who has a glass of wine with dinner an alcoholic? Of course not. So why do we somehow think that everyone who uses social media is addicted? They're not. It's a pathology. And if you're not addicted, stop saying you are. So that's very, very important in terms of reimagining our temperament to realize that we are not addicted. We are simply distracted. Now, of course, people don't like that term because when I think about the fact that, oh, I'm just distracted, oh, well, now it's my responsibility. Now I need to do something about it. That's no fun. <laughs> and so that's where we want to take back uh, uh, to empower ourselves to be able to hack back these external triggers. And why do I use the term hack back? To hack something means to gain unauthorized access, right? A computer hacker uh, hacks into a bank account to steal your money. They're gaining unauthorized access to your money. Now, these media companies, whether it's new media or traditional media, it doesn't matter whether it's you know CNN or Fox News or the New York Times or Facebook or Twitter, we all know how they make money. Okay, this is not a secret to anyone. They hack your attention to sell it to advertisers. They're all in the same business. And there's nothing wrong with that business model. It's giving us exactly what we want for free. <laughs> right? All we need to do is to hack back. So just because these tools are designed to sell our attention to advertisers, that doesn't mean we can't hack back. So how do we hack back? Facebook. I love Facebook. It's great. What I don't love is the newsfeed. The newsfeed is a dumpster fire of political crap, advertising. I don't need to see it. So here's what I did. I went online and I installed a Chrome extension that is absolutely free. Anyone can use it. It's called Facebook Newsfeed Eradicator. And it does exactly what it says. When I go onto Facebook, I don't see the newsfeed anymore. I can go check your page. I can see what's up with your kids. I can see the photos you posted, but I don't want to see the newsfeed anymore. I have hacked that technology and there's nothing Zuckerberg can do about it. When I watch YouTube videos, I have a Chrome extension called YouTube DF. DF stands for distraction free. So I love YouTube. YouTube has given me so much value in my life. All these amazing videos and interesting content. It's wonderful. Now, what I don't love is all the, are all those ads and uh, autoplay videos. I don't need to see all that crap. YouTube DF scrubs out all that superfluous content. So when I watch a YouTube video, it ends and that's it. I just see the video I'm watching. I don't see all those ads on the side. I don't see the next video that is designed to get me to keep watching and watching. So what we have to do is to realize that we have way more power than we think, that we can in fact hack back. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. I, I love that point about addiction and the use of words. That's something I have noticed throughout the pandemic, that people are watching their vernacular much more about these things because it does have an impact, um, like you say. Um, right, let's talk quickly, last thing about notification zero, I think. Um, so for most of the day, I'm pretty much notification zero and I have really clear ways for people to contact me if it's urgent. But research um, that I read in the book uh, suggests that even having a phone near us might be just as a distraction distracting mm -hmm. as having pings going off. Um, how do we balance the need to have our phones with us and the distraction that they bring? 
Yeah, so I think this is where time boxing and using these tactics in concert. Remember, there's four key pillars. There's no one magic bullet. There's no easy solution here that solves the problem. It's about using these four big strategies in concert. So number one is mastering the internal triggers. If you don't do this step first and foremost, if you don't learn to deal with discomfort, I promise you, you will find distraction. Whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook, you are going to find distraction if you don't first and foremost know how to deal with your feelings. Okay, that has to be the first step. The good news is you don't have to go see a psychotherapist. Anyone can learn these techniques in you know, a few minutes to know what they will do when they feel discomfort. Do they escape it with distraction every time we feel the slightest tinge of boredom? Do we have to scroll and check and leave our minds to go do something else? Or do we know how to deal with that distraction in a healthy way that leads us towards traction uh, instead? So that's the first step. The second step is making time for traction. As we talked about earlier, very, very important step, understanding that we have to decide in advance how we want to spend our time and we can't call something a distraction unless we know what it distracted us from. The third step is to hack back these external triggers. So making sure that we ask ourselves this critical question of, is this external trigger serving me or am I serving it? It's very important to ask ourselves that question for all the external triggers in our life, not just the pings and dings on our phone, but you know the, the, the superfluous meetings. Uh, the, our kids can be distractions. Let's be honest, right? We love them to death, but if we're working from home and we're working on a big project, they can be a, a huge distraction as well. So I tell you how to hack back those distractions as well. And then finally, the last step is to prevent distraction with pacts. And a pact is a pre-commitment. It's when we decide in advance that we will erect a firewall, a barrier, so that when everything else fails, we have this last line of defense. And so it's really about using these four techniques together in concert. Those are the four big strategies. Then there are tactics that we use within each of those buckets to help us become indistractable. You mentioned um, parents just there, um, and you talk a lot about the effect that technology has got on children and their their ability to focus. Um, what's the best advice for parents out there so that they raise focused, curious little non-monsters? <laughs> so the best advice uh, is to repeat what I, I said a little bit earlier, which is you have to set the example yourself. That I see so many parents who think, oh, you know, my, my kid's addicted to this or that, and that, and, and they're not indistractable themselves. So that's the best advice. The second best advice is to recognize the deeper problem that every generation of parents since time immemorial has always said, oh, kids these days with their crazy technology, right? They said it about us with the television. They said it about the generation before with the radio, the comic book, like literally all the way to Socrates who said that the written word, this terrible new technology of the written word was going to enfeeble men's minds. Every generation thinks that the next generation is going to hell in a handbasket because of some crazy new technology that's melting their brain. We hear the same silliness right now when it comes to technology. It is straight up the same exact script, and it's just as ridiculous. And more than that, it's dangerous because it obfuscates the real problem. Overuse of technology by kids is a symptom of a deeper problem, of a, a, a deeper disorder. And, and this might take a little bit more time than we have, but if you look at what kids are missing, they are deficient in the three psychological nutrients. The three psychological nutrients, just like we have uh, our, our physiological nutrients of carbohydrates, fat, and protein, 
Uh, according to self-determination theory, which is the most widely studied, widely researched theory on human motivation and flourishing, we all need these three psychological nutrients of uh, mastery, autonomy, and relatedness. And if you look at kids' lives today in the Western world, they are severely deficient in these three psychological nutrients. And so what do we do? This is called the needs displacement hypothesis. What do we do when we're deficient in a particular nutrient? We go get it somewhere else. So what we have to recognize is that it's not the technology overuse that is the problem. Technology overuse is a symptom of a deeper problem. Mm. No, I think that's uh, that's incredibly good advice for people out there, certainly during this time as well. Um, finally, what's your best or most recent epiphany or bit of advice uh, when it comes to avoiding distraction that isn't in the book? That isn't in the book. You know, I put my best stuff in the book. <laughs> Definitely. No, it's, it's been a weird time, like we said. So I'm sure you've had other other thoughts as well. Yeah, you know, um, let's see. I, I, I think that there's, uh, I don't know, if, I mean, this is in the book, but I think that that uh, some of the more uh, less lesser known techniques have to do with how we can actually use technology to fight technological distractions. So a site that I use every week is called Focusmate. Uh, I love this company so much. I actually invested in the company. Do you remember Chat Roulette a few years ago? Remember Chat Roulette? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like Chat Roulette, but without the nasty bits. Right? It's about so basically, you if you need to do focused work, uh, and you're the kind of person like me who has trouble getting started in the morning, but you know you want you know a, a, some time to to focus on a, a difficult task that you've been procrastinating on, you book time with your focus mate at focusmate.com. And that person will show up on your screen over video at that exact time. And if you don't show up, you get a bad review. So it encourages you to make a pre-commitment to show up when you say you will. And you say, hello, my name is Nir. Okay, what are you working on? Takes, you, know, you don't talk for more than 10 seconds, and then you go. And you work for 50 minutes without distraction. And it's amazing how effective it is just to have an accountability partner right there at your disposal. Uh, there are thousands and thousands of people who use this service. It's amazing. That is radical transparency, and I love that and accountability and that sort of thing. That's right. That's really interesting. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out. It's Focus Me or Focus Mate. Focus Mate. F O F O C U S M A T E dot com. Oh. Okay, interesting. And everybody needs more mates and that sort of thing. So that's, that's right. <laughs> All right. I'm, uh, I've got us to the stage of the show where it is uh, Desert Island Tweets, um, where we pick a tweet or two that's changed a guest's mind or way of thinking. Uh, but Nia has been a gent and said that I should pick one. So um, here it is. If you turn your attention to the top of the screen, the Nest, uh, I will talk about this one. It's from Ars Technica, which is an amazing account. I definitely recommend you follow them for um, technology news and everything analytical. Um, yeah, I picked this tweet because it resonated with me last night when I was just about to go head off to bed um i think it pairs perfectly with today's chat actually um the chat uh, the the tweet explores a study from the um Brigham young university who conducted a study to show how blue light reducing features like apple's night shift improve sleep quality their conclusion night shift doesn't help at all um now this was only done with iphones but pretty much every phone claims to have this sort of technology in it to help people sleep better um i'm actually a huge believer in the power of nootropics uh, and i've been using those for years to help me nod off and that sort of stuff what I need to. Um, you mentioned sleep uh, in the book 42 times. What's your best tip for a good shower? I think you mentioned it earlier, actually, didn't you? Yeah, I think it's that, that mantra of the body gets what the body needs when you let it. Uh, so nothing will give you the kind of returns on good sleep as 
time in bed, <laughs> right? Like making that Literally time. Just going to bed, isn't it? Just really? going to bed. Getting to going to bed. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, like this is this is the, the 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 advice nobody wants to hear. It's like, oh, how do I get in shape? Uh, eat right and exercise. Like you don't need a diet book for that. How do I how do I get better <laughs> sleep? Uh, go to bed. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it, it's simple advice often that we don't like taking, I think, which is kind of interesting for a lot of people. That's um, right. And, and by the way, you know, it's it's interesting. There's this new phenomenon. Uh, I think it's called revenge scrolling, where uh, I, I might have butchered that, but the idea is that we find that 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 the reason we stay, you know, even though we say we want to go to sleep, we're tired, we're in bed, we keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and so there was a, some studies done on why people do this, and it turns out it's about a sense of agency and control. It's when my life feels out of control, as for many people it has this past year during the pandemic. This is the one thing I do control. I can exert my sense of agency in that I'm going to stay up because I want to. <laughs> so again, it's a feeling. It's a feeling. And this is why it's so important to understand and master those internal triggers. Uh, because if we don't understand that the number one reason we don't do what we say or we're going to do, it's because we don't feel like it. At the end of the day, if we don't go to the gym, if we don't eat right, if we procrastinate, it's always because we don't feel like it. So tackling those feelings and knowing how to master them so they don't master you has got to be the first step. Definitely. Thank you for talking with me, Nir. I'm really pleased that you talk about showing up accountability in your life uh, and control, publicly and privately. Um, I think that's really important. Um, just as having time and space to do your best work is, uh, I'm really in intrigued to see where a lot of these companies push the future of work and sort of how people are productive and where you know people focus their attention. Um, so th thanks for writing the book. I think it's important. I don't think people enough say thanks for writing the book. They're, they're not easy things to write. Um, I also think it's coming at a pivotal time as well. And I urged everybody, like I said earlier, buy a couple of copies for you and somebody in your business, whether it's the boss, a client, um, make sure you go to nearandfar.com to sign up for the email as well. Thank you again, Nir, for being part of Mouthwash Experiment. Uh, as you know, uh, oh, you're also TBD alumni now, so thank you for that. Um, any final thoughts or advice for listeners for the next 24 months? Well, I really appreciate it. It was great to be here. Fantastic questions. Uh, you know, if you're interested in the book, again, it's indistractable how to control your attention and choose your life. And I should mention that there's an 80 page workbook uh, that we couldn't fit into the final edition of the book, but it's a great guide whether you buy the book or not, you'll find it helpful. It's actually available for free on my website. You don't have to buy anything. It's all complimentary at nearandfar.com. Near is spelled like my first name. That's N-I-R and far.com, nearandfar.com. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Mouthwash and the next season over at mouthwashshow.com. Mouthwash is recorded live on Twitter Spaces before becoming the podcast you've been listening to. Thanks to Ecology for planting a tree for every listener and Shell for sponsoring the show. Let me know if you're enjoying Mouthwash so far by leaving us a rating and a review. Remember to subscribe to Mouthwash wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes featuring activists, AI experts, Silicon Valley royalty, Pulitzer Prize winning journalists and a whole lot more besides. See you next time and remember, always start or end your day with a little mouthwash. <laughs>